Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Dustin, and I'm excited to be back up here preaching. I had a couple weeks off, so uh, you may have to turn your listening ears a little bit quicker um, because I'm excited to be back preaching. So um, if you have your Bibles, we love those here. Uh, we'll be in John chapter 4, um, and as we are getting ready to jump into that, there's a couple things I was going to uh, quickly talk about. Um, the first one is uh, this Wednesday. We're looking forward to it. We'd love for you to come. Listen, if you're not part of a group or anything, that is perfectly okay. We're just eating together as a church family. Uh, one of the things that I've really enjoyed this summer is uh, being a newer church, it's just fun to get to hang out with one another. And so it's just a good time to spend eating, and then we'll have a, a quick time of teaching together. And then uh, secondly, uh, coming in August, we're starting some new uh, connect groups. And so I want to just quickly give a overall perspective of what connect groups are and why we do those as a church. And so uh, what connect groups are is they're about eight plus people. And I say eight plus because we had one this semester get up to about 22 people in one house. And that's why we're having to start more is because as more people come and we grow, we're having to start more. And so what we do is, is we come in, we uh, spend time eating together, and then we spend time studying uh, scripture together. We want it to be a balance of uh, doing life together where we can talk about what's going on in our marriage, in our life, with our kids, um, in the world, etc. But then we also don't want it to be so open-ended to where we're just coming and talking about whatever. That's why we also uh, study the Word, right? We open up the Bible, we read it, and we talk through um, that as well. And so it's um, a mixture of just being in the Bible and just doing life together. And so um, I'm excited about those. If you noticed at our church, we don't do a ton of things. We don't, do, uh, we don't say we have 50 ministries that we're going to go reach people with. Um, we try to do four things really, really well. We try to do those really well so that we can reach people that way. And one of the big things we push towards is connect groups. And so um, starting in August, we would love for you to start uh, coming to one if you're interested. Um, we'll be starting a couple more to add some room for growth. And so uh, we'd love for you to do that. One of the things we... Uh, firmly believe and want to do is we want everything we do to be sustainable for every part of life. And so maybe you've been a part of a group or of a Bible study that was awesome for like six weeks of uh, the summer or, or maybe three weeks and a break you had in December, but then you're like, how do I do this long term? How is this sustainable, sustainable when normal life hits? And so that's why we don't try to do a lot as a church, right? We don't have Monday men's gathering, Tuesday women's, Wednesday prayer, uh, Thursday night dinner. We don't set you up for your entire week because... We want you to be able to go live life in the community. We want you to be able to go coach your kids' t-ball team. We want you to be able to spend time with other people that maybe aren't even Christians. We don't want to fill your schedule up completely with that because then we have no interaction with the world. And so what we do say is, is we do want you to have community, though. And so that's why we pick out and say, we just want you to commit to one night a week and put that out of your schedule, cut that in, and say, well, I'm going to be committed to this group and this group of people, and that's what we call connect groups. And so that's why we don't stack up your schedule all during the week. We do Sunday morning services where we try to preach and we try to do them well. We try to do worship well and teach well, and then we also put a lot of energy into connect groups. And so I will say, listen, I know going to somebody's house can be a little weird, but our leaders are pretty normal people, okay? You're going to feel welcome. They're not going to bring you in and ask you weird questions, okay? Um, I, don't, I don't know what your experience is with that kind of stuff, but we'd love for you to um, at least start praying about getting into a group. Um, we try to uh, have groups be multi-generational. It doesn't matter your age or your marital status, etc. We just want you to have biblical community where you can be with other believers and spend time with them and be encouraged because as we know, 
following Christ in this world is not easy. Amen? And if we want to do that wholeheartedly, we need to have people around us that are encouraging us and pushing us forward. And so that, that good spill for connect groups, good enough, okay? All right, here we go. Jumping into scripture this morning. So we're in a series that we've been in called Four Cultures of a Healthy Church. And so if you've been here, uh, the first one we talked about generosity. We went through uh, the idea of money and, and how we can have a healthy view of that to where money's not everything, but we don't completely ignore it. We can't follow Christ and money, so we can't ignore it. Then we talked about serving and why uh, everybody in here has been gifted to be a part of God's church. Then last week, or two weeks ago, we talked about uh, community and, and the importance of having church family and being in community. And then this week, the last healthy part of a church we'll talk about is evangelism and why evangelism is important. You see, we've been in the book of Acts the past few months, if you've been here, and one of the things you often read in the book of Acts is, and the Lord added to their number daily. Or you'll get to the end of the chapter and it'll say, and 3,000 people were saved. Or it'll say, and so many people came to know the Lord. You see, when we study the, the very first church, the first Christians that ever gathered in Jerusalem after Jesus had resurrected, told them what to do, sent the Holy Spirit, and the first Christians dispersed everywhere, they grew, right? And, and it wasn't because they had the best church, best church growth tactics. It wasn't because they had the most entertaining preacher. It wasn't because they had the best worship. It was because they had people that were wholeheartedly committed to the mission of God, which is what? To go and make disciples of all nations. Listen, that's why the church was born. Jesus told us in Acts 1-8 to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth before he sent the Spirit, right? Think about this. There was a mission for the church before the church was formed, okay? The church was created for a mission. God didn't have a group of people and say, hey, we've, we've showed up to church. Now what are we going to do? You see what I'm saying? There was a mission that Jesus had given his people, and then there were people that were come to fulfill the mission, and that's you and I today, right? We're standing on top of the shoulders of Paul and then the early church fathers and then thousands of people, millions of people that have gone on to push the gospel of Jesus onto the next generation and the next generation and now it's us and now we're continuing to push it forward. We're a part of the same story and so we want to do that as a church but the one thing I will say is we don't want to just do that corporately. Right? It's easy to say we want to be a missional church and evangelize as a church and then it's like all of us need to stand up and walk to the neighborhoods and try to evangelize. That's not necessarily what we're talking about this morning. What I'm going to be focused on this morning is how all of us individually can share the gospel in everyday life with what we're doing, right? Um, we like to call this living on mission. Here's the deal. We're already busy enough, all of us in here. We already could compartmentalize more of our life to try to have this time where I'm going to try to tell people about Jesus and this time I go to work and this time I do my hobby. What we see in scripture is the people had a life, they were busy, but they just said everything I do and everywhere I go, I'm going to take Christ with me. You follow me here? And so rather than just compartmentalizing an hour or two of the week or an hour or two of the month and saying I'm going to evangelize in this time, they just said as I go. I'm going to evangelize, and that's what caused the church to be so effective and why it started to grow. And this is why they were so willing to share Christ, I really feel like, is because it was valuable to them, right? That Christ had changed their life as individuals, and so Christ was of enough value to them for them to want to share Christ with others. Listen, this week, 
my wife and I have been talking for the past couple months. We had moved on some, some family land, and we, we really wanted to, to be able to buy something that we could ride the, the land around on. You follow me here? Well, we ended up finally biting the bullet, and we bought a Players Ranger. Now, what do all good Americans do when you buy something? You tear it up, true. But you tell people about it, right? So what did I do? I, I went and got it. As soon as I closed the door to my truck, I'm calling my brother, my other brother, my mom, my friends, my buddies on the way home. You won't believe that I finally bit the bullet. I finally got it, right? Why am I sharing that? Because it's a value, right? Anything that's important to us, we naturally share. You don't have to ask any grandparent to tell you about their grandkids. Amen? It's just flowing out of them. You know what I mean? You won't believe my grandkid. They're the cutest grandkid ever, and they get into wars. Well, you won't believe what my grandkid did. And then it seeps into kids. Well, you won't believe what my kid did this week. You see what I'm saying? Why does that happen? Because it's of value to us. And the reality is those are earthly things. And what Christ purchased for us on the cross is an eternal thing. So when we put those things in light of one another, we probably should see the value we place on Jesus is even higher than that. And so if we wake up daily and see Christ for who he is and what he's done for us, it should be natural for that to pour out of us. Amen. Evangelism should be something that's normal and easy, not something that's awkward and we don't do much. Okay. But that's not always how it is. And I understand that. And it's okay. You see, the last thing I want to share before we get into John 4 and really talk through it, I really believe that it's not by accident that you're around the people you're around and God's put you through what you've been through and you're in the situation today that you're in. God has sovereignly ordained to have you where you are and given you a sphere and circle of influence, whether it be at your work, at your school, um, your family, your, your job, your hobbies. God has put you around those people on purpose so that you can be a vessel that the gospel can travel through to those people. Amen. God wants to use each of us individually, not just say something corporately. There's a quick story I wanted to share. The last church I pastored at for a few years, we had a guy who first started coming when uh, it was probably year one, he came the first time. And the guy had uh, struggled big time with drug abuse. He had been into uh, selling them and trading them almost more than he had been in it. And he had a heart for those people. And um, when he was in rehab one time, he gave his life to Christ. He had um, really just become fired up for Christ. And uh, the guy was a framer by trade. He, he, he started a construction company. And the construction company had blown up in the last three or four years that he had been a part of our church. And he was hiring in ex-people that were part of uh, been, at, been to rehab or whatever. And he was bringing them in. Now, listen, they weren't all success stories. But we had several members of our church that became members and got plugged in and had community and were growing in Christ because that this guy was on mission. And one thing led to another, and now he's actually sold his construction company, opened up a rehab ministry, and they have about 20 guys in little town of Vidalia, Georgia, where they're just trying to help people. You see what I'm saying? Now, look, what I'm saying is, is not all of you may not go quit your job and start a ministry or you have the ability to maybe do that. What I'm saying is, though, is that God has put you around and put you through things sovereignly on purpose because he wants to use you to share the gospel. Amen. And there's nothing sweeter and nothing better than when people you know and people you're around come to know Christ and get serious about their relationship with the Lord. I really believe there's nothing better than seeing that as a believer. Once we're saved and we understand the beauty of Christ, there's nothing better than seeing somebody next to you see Christ and the beauty of Christ. Amen? And that becomes sweeter and sweeter. So let's do this. Let's pray together. We'll unpack John 4 relatively quickly, so I will be reading the Bible kind of fast because we'll pull from about 30 verses 
don't like doing that, but the passage is really good for it. And then we'll jump into it and get going. Sound good? Amen? All right, let's pray and we'll go. Father, we love you. God, I'm thankful for who you are. God, I'm thankful for your grace and mercy. God, I'm thankful for the people here. God, I pray this morning that, God, as your word says in Romans, that your word wouldn't return void to us. God, I pray that it would, God, get in our hearts and rearrange our affections. God, rearrange our priorities. God, would it challenge us? Would it convict us? And God, would you give us the courage as we leave here today, God, to be changed and want to live on mission for you. God, not so that we can receive glory, not so that Connection Church Athens can receive glory, not so that none of us in here can beat our own chest, but so that you can get the worship that you deserve and you're worthy of because of what you purchased for us through your blood on the cross. And we love you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Everybody says amen, amen. amen. So here we go. John chapter 4, verse 1. And like I said, I'm going to have to go through it relatively quickly. I'll pause here and there and go, but then I want to pull three big questions from it. I'll go ahead and give you those before we jump into the scripture. That way, if you're a note taker, you can have it and we'll go through it. The first thing that I'll get to after we read it, the first question is this, why do we evangelize? I'm going to answer that question. Why do we tell people about Jesus? When I say evangelize, I mean share the gospel with people. Why do we do that? What's the big deal about that? The second question I'm going to talk about is, how do we evangelize? How do we talk to people about Christ? How do we live a life that attracts people to Christ? How do we reflect Christ as we go in life? And then the next one and the last question we'll answer is, where do we evangelize? Where do we do this at? Do we uh, travel to another country? Do we go to our neighbor? Or do we do everything in between? Obviously, that's the answer, but we'll talk a little more specifically about it. So let's do this. Let's go through the first few verses of this chapter and then we'll pull those questions from it and go through it so starting in john chapter 4 if you're not familiar let me catch you up john is a person that was a disciple of jesus he followed jesus around so the the old testament was before jesus new testament after jesus john was one of his disciples he followed him around and then he wrote a book called the gospel of john and in the end he tells us that he wrote it so that people would believe in christ and so all that he's sharing is just so that you and i years later would be able to know about christ and so we'll learn from it here in a second so now when jesus learned that the pharisees has heard that jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than john Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. So you can tell there's a little something going on here. Let me catch you up so you're not too lost, okay? So he says, people are upset that Jesus is making more disciples than John the Baptist, okay? Maybe you know that story, but a guy came to pave the road to tell him that Jesus was actually coming, and it was John the Baptist. And they're saying, what's weird is that Jesus is baptizing more people than John the Baptist, which should probably be normal to us. If Jesus was here on earth, he would probably baptize more people than Connection Church Athens because he's God. You follow me here? So it's normal for him to do that. It says he left Judah and departed again for Galilee. That's important. He's on the move. He's going from one place to another, from point A to point B, verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. That's important. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. That's an Old Testament story from Genesis. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Let me pause there. The sixth hour for them would have been the dead, hot middle of the day. Amen? Y'all, anybody like hanging out, doing yard work outside at about 2 o'clock right now? Not a chance, okay? It's like that there, and they're in the desert where a well is. That's why everybody's coming to it. It was a big deal to have a well there. They're in the desert. 
Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Let me pause there and say this about Samaritans. Samaritans didn't hang out with other people. Samaritans were like the lowest of the low class, okay? That's why this woman was, she was from Samaria, and that's why she's there in the middle of the day. Guess why she went out there in the middle of the day? Guess why you don't see your neighbor cutting grass at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? Because it's hot. You see what I'm saying? There's a reason why she's there in the middle of the day, and the reason why she's there in the middle of the day is because she don't want to see another soul. She wants to get in there and get out and not be seen by anybody, but there's a divine appointment with Jesus. It says, give me a drink. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, or a woman of Samaria? He's saying, this is weird. You're low class. I'm not low class. Why are you even talking to me, much less going to get a drink? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus takes this earthly idea of being thirsty and turns it into a spiritual one. He says, you thirst um, temporarily and earthly. You're thirsty that needs to do this, but what you really need is living water, something that will satisfy you forever. So he's now making this in a in a spiritual sense, a way that she can understand it, right? A way that um, any old lady that knew nothing about Jesus could understand what he's teaching. Verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. She's thinking physically, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. You can tell the woman is searching, right? She wants something that's going to satisfy her when she finally realized it. I think we can apply this, and we'll get to it in a minute, but there are people around us searching for answers. Amen. Um, there's people searching around us for uh, why are they on earth? What's our purpose here? How do I parent? What should I do for a living? You see what I'm saying? And there's all these questions that are leading to bigger ideas. And that's what Jesus is telling her. But the problem is Jesus doesn't just give her the living water without getting to some of the hard stuff first. Right. We've talked about this. This is what happens next. So Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you would have five, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. If somebody came up to you and repeated everything you had done, you would probably start paying a little more attention, looking at him face to face. Like, you have something important to say. You're different from me, right? I can't pick you guys out and know what happened in your life. But if somebody else could, you would pay a little more attention. So she said, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. So what does she do? She avoids her sin and wants to talk about worship. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Let me pause there and give you just a little bit of background of why they're talking about this. They're talking about three types of worship, okay? The Samaritans weren't Jews. They worshiped a God that they didn't know. 
And later in the book of Acts, it'll literally say, not about Samaria, but other places, that they had worship gods that was to an unknown God. So people back then would worship a creator. They didn't know. That was normal. So the Samaritans worshiped a God they didn't know. Then you had the Jews who worshiped in Jerusalem at the temple. They had to go to the temple to worship. But we know in the new covenant, when Jesus comes, he's going to say, no longer do you worship in the temple. Paul's going to expound on that and say, you're now, your bodies are going to become the temple and you're going to be a walking worshiper, a walking person that is sacrificing for Christ and showing them. And those people will worship me in spirit and in truth, right? You're going to worship me holding nothing back. You don't have to go to the temple to worship. You don't have to come to church to worship. You can worship in your car. You can worship with your kids at home. You can worship anywhere you go. Now, should you be a part of a corporate body? to come and worship together? Absolutely. But this is not the only place, hopefully, that we worship God together. We are in the new covenant now. The temple was destroyed, three of them, right? The third time signifying the same thing that Jesus did. He was dead for three days and then resurrected. When the temple was destroyed for the third time, now we are in the new covenant, right? This was a big deal. That's why the temple was still destroyed to this day is because there's no more worshiping in a temple. We, the body of Christ, are the temple and we're the ones worshiping him all the time. Y'all follow me on this? And so there was three types. There were how the Jews worshiped, there were how the Samaritans worshiped, and then there was how Jesus was about to implement the new covenant and how we worship today. It says this in verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. It's interesting she says that because what had Jesus already told her? All things about her. You see what I'm saying? So it's all wrapping together. I think in this moment it's starting to come to her. So what does Jesus say in verse 26? Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he, saying I am her. Let's skip down. I want to skip down just a little bit and go to verse 39. We get the end of this story now after she gets saved and she runs back into Samaria and starts telling people. Verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Now listen, if anybody had a testimony to go share, it was her. Amen? Listen, God had not accidentally put her through this that she wasn't proud of. He didn't accidentally not let her avoid it. He used that for her to go to be the one to share the gospel in Samaria, right? There's several things we learned. Nobody's too far from Jesus. No town is too far from Jesus. No area of Clark County, no area of Oglethorpe County, no area of wherever Oconee County people come from. There's nobody that's too far. There's no area we should shun away from Christ. We want all people to come to Christ. And so what I want to do now is I just want to answer those three questions I think are very important from this on evangelism, and then we'll be done. So the first one, why do we evangelize? That's a good question, okay? And I want to answer it from a little bit different perspective because this is very important that we understand this. I think in our culture, as self-centered as all of us are, it's easy for us to naturally want to evangelize for ourselves and for other people. But what that does is, is it makes other people the object of the ones worthy of worship, okay? And none of us in here are worthy of worship. We evangelize so that God 
receives worship. Amen? That's why we do it. I want to read verse 22 again through verse 25 because that's where it comes from. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will seek the Father in spirit and truth. Check this out. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. What he doesn't say is that he wants to go make converts that believe in Jesus and then stop worshiping. You see what I'm saying? It's a continuation of a lifestyle when you get saved to keep worshiping. It's so easy. And listen, this is a true thing that is true, is that we tell people about Jesus so that they don't spend eternity away from God in hell. That is a true statement, right? But if that is the end goal of us sharing what that does is, is it makes that person the center of why we're sharing. I want to share with X so that X doesn't spend eternity away from God. That can be a good reason, but that puts X at the center because check this out. If X then gets saved, they think that the gospel now revolves around them. Jesus did this all for me. So what do we do then? We walk around saying, God saved me, beating our chest, and we think that our salvation is for who? For us. You follow me on this? But what we're saying here is, and what Ephesians 1 teaches us, is that God is saving people. He's, re he's redeeming people through his blood, not so that you and I can receive worship, not so that Connection Church Athens can be the greatest thing ever, but so that the God that created us, the God that sustains us, the God that sacrificed for us, the God that is worthy of all worship gets all the worship. You see what I'm saying? So when we share and evangelize, we do it so that the person understands that the reason we're evangelizing is so that the God of the universe that created everything that is worthy of all worship gets it, not you and I. Y'all see how easy it would be to make things about us and put us, ourselves at the center? In the end, Revelation 7 tells us that we're all going to be around the throne worshiping Jesus. And so if God saved us for us to praise ourselves or for us to be all about ourselves, then heaven's not going to be a very fun place. You see what I'm saying? Because people in heaven are going to be singing and praising who? The Lamb, Jesus, the one that is worthy of all praise. And so we get to a place where we understand that that's what it's about. Listen, there's a quote, I think, that explains this well, and it makes spiritual gifts, it makes everything else make a lot more sense. John Piper said in a book, Let the Nations Be Glad, one of my favorite books, he says, missions or evangelism, like we're talking about now, exists because worship doesn't. Why do we evangelize? So that that person then gives worship back to the God that deserves the worship. You see what I'm saying? That's where it all starts. That's where it all comes from. Think about this. Would you go to a sporting event that you already knew the ending to? Probably not. You go to it because you want to see the ending, right? We evangelize because we want to see God worshipped. If we already knew he was going to worship and not, we wouldn't share Christ, right? But we do that because we want to see that. That's why God's given us spiritual gifts. Think about this. In heaven, we won't be sharing the gospel anymore. We're not going to be trying to build up the church anymore. We're not going to be trying to get people in heaven to then worship God because they already understand it. Y'all follow me on this? We evangelize now in this in-between time on earth so that God gets the worship he is worthy of. And he's worthy of more than he's getting now. All people are designed to worship God. I want to read a, a quick phrase from Ephesians 1. It says, Ephesians 1, 5, in love. He predestined us. That's not a bad word. I know you people have had different ideas with that. That's a, not a bad word. Don't run away from it. We need a theology that can hold that too. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. How did he save us? As sons through Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So he saved us. He redeemed us. He adopted us into his kingdom. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace. This whole plan of why we share Christ and why we celebrate Christ is for the praise and glory of God's glorious grace to us in Christ. That's the big picture, right? That's why we plant churches. That's why we share the gospel. That's what's going on in the kingdom going forward is that God's doing all of this so that he receives more and more worship. And God's worthy of it. Listen, I know this is not the most entertaining thing in the world, but if we don't understand the root of why we evangelize, if it's just for people, when that person makes you mad, you won't evangelize to them anymore. You need something deeper than the circumstance of what they say to you then. You need a God that's worthy of all worship to keep you going when it gets hard, right? And if that's the foundation we have, we keep going and we keep pushing on and we keep going and we keep pushing on because God's worthy of more worship right? That's why we say in in missions that we want to reach every tongue, tribe, and nation because in the end, Revelation says every language will be worshiping him. It ain't going to be a bunch of us white folks singing to him in English. That will be there, and that's good. But there's going to be more, different languages, different colors, different people around the throne worshiping Jesus because that's what he's doing. And he's not coming back until we've reached all nations, and there's still a lot left that haven't come to know him. Amen? And so that's this whole plan. People say, why is God saving people? For the praise of his glory. Why did God create you? For the praise of his glory. Why did God give you the job you have? To the praise of his glory. Y'all see how all this works? Everything is to the praise of God and his glory. He is worthy of it and he deserves it. The second reason we evangelize is because God commands us, right? When Jesus left, he told them, in Matthew 28, 17 through 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, for I'm with you always until the end of the age. So when Jesus tells us something, we naturally want to obey it. The thing I'll say there is, is that there's no neutrality in this world, right? We're, we're all being shaped and indoctrinated by something. And so as the church, it's our job, as we are as As Paul tells Timothy, we are the ones that have the truth. We're the vessels of truth to the world. And so we're the ones that's going out to share the truth of the gospel of what Jesus did for people with them. And us in here, the church, we're the ones that are doing that. We don't want to be a church, right, that's like halfway in and halfway out on this. That's why we're here, right? Listen, if we got to any amount of people and any amount of budget or whatever the, the people say where our goal is as a church, and we quit wanting to evangelize and reach the next person for Christ, I pray that God would shut the doors on this church, right? Not because then I would have to find a new job and it would stink, right, or whatever else, but because that's the end goal of why we're here, amen? That's the end goal of why you're here, why I'm here. That's the end goal of the church is that we see people come to know Christ. And this is not that you don't know that, right? It's that we all have to be reminded of it because what's natural for every church and every group of people that are following Christ? We get comfortable. We start liking each other. We like the way we cook. We like the way we talk. We like the way that person dresses. Oh, I actually have hobbies and that that person does that. That's cool. So we end up becoming like this awesome big family. 
and we link arms and we're great and we turn inward and we just love on each other. And then 100 years later, Connection Church Athens dies because we're not turned outward trying to make disciples of new people and new people and new people. You follow me here? If that's going to be, we're going to do what God commanded us. Listen, we need to be a strong family that's linked together, but we're not just going to stare at one another all the time. We're going to be linked arms in a circle together, but we're going to be facing outward like an army, realizing that all of us are called to go share the gospel and tell people about Christ, and that's going to cause us to march forward. Amen? That's how we're going to see people come to know Christ. And I'll be honest with you. I don't think nowadays we're getting to a place where doing cool things on Sunday morning is not just going to reach people. Right? People that are anti against Jesus out there, we're not going to say, hey, listen, we have some awesome singers. You need to come hear them. You're worshiping Jesus. I don't care about that. You see what I'm saying? There's a point where the attractiveness of the church, we're not just going to be able to invite them in because of how awesome things are. We're going to have to get out of our seats as a church and go into the community, into our workplaces, into what we do hobbies with, into our families, and make disciples that way. We're going to be sent out of here, hence the name of why we call the series in Acts sent. We're going to be sent out of church to go share the gospel so that people can come to know Christ. That's when we are understanding what God has commanded us to be important. The last reason, and I think this is good too, is because every person is not satisfied until they know God. Right? If we had the cure for cancer and we didn't share, it would be terrible. But we have something far better than that. We have the answer for why people are on earth and how they can be reconciled to the one that created them, which is through the blood of Christ, and that's what we want to share. Think about this. In verse 7 through 13 is when he starts telling her that she needed water. And Jesus says in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying that you give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Right? There's people around us that need and want living water. There are people that need a reason to live. There's people that need a reason to why they're on earth. There's people that are searching for all of this in many different ways. And they're all around us and we have the answer that they need. We just have to... One of two things, learn it so that we can share it. Or number two, value Christ daily when we wake up so our heart's in a good place to want to share it when those times come. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's usually one of two things. Either we need to learn the gospel so we can share it, or we need to value what Christ has done for us more daily and understand daily, wake up, thank you Christ for what you've done for me so it means enough so that we want to share it. And that convicts all of us in here, including me, amen? Anybody think they could not share the gospel better? No, right? we all can, and that's a serious thing we need to do. I was just thinking this week, maybe you have friends, you know people that are searching for satisfaction from a boyfriend or girlfriend or the opposite sex. Maybe you have friends that are searching for satisfaction from their kids, right? Kids don't provide living water. They're great. We celebrate them, but I don't live just for my children. They're awesome. But we have more to live for just our children or just our spouse, right? But those things become ultimate. That's not the only reason we live. Maybe you have friends that think money is the next thing. If they can just figure out a way to make that much money, they would be happy, whatever that amount is for them. Maybe it's the next toy or the next house. We all get caught up in this. Maybe it's retirement. If I can just get to retirement with X amount of money, I'll be happy. And then you know what happens? 
You meet somebody that met, or you meet somebody that retired with your amount of money plus some, and what do you say? Man, I wish I had retired with the amount of money they retired with. You see what I'm saying? There's this satisfaction we're after. And C.S. Lewis says what's happened is, is we search and search and search, and we're not going to find it. We're only going to find it when we come to know Christ, and that's what we realize. And we have what people are looking for. I don't share this often, but I was going to share this a little bit because that's exactly where I was when Christ saved me over 10 years ago, right? I was, I thought I was a lot cooler than I was. Um, I thought I was a lot better at sports than I really was. And what I had done is, as I said, if I can create this reputation, my, my sports career had gotten over, it finally ended. Um, I'd become kind of a, a, known as like a little bit of a, you know, he's kind of a good kid, but he also does that, you know, and but I wanted to be a good person. When people thought of Dustin or when Dustin called him, I didn't want them to think of a hoodlum, you know. I wanted to be good enough, I'd be good too, you know. And so what I'd done is, is my ultimate reason for living was a good reputation, right? If, if when I pop up and call somebody on their thing and it says, Dustin Phillips, what do I want that, what do I want to go through their head in that moment was what drove my living. And what I realized was that wasn't going to do it either. People could think you're the greatest person in the world. But you're going to be trying to impress the next one that doesn't know you yet. And then the next one and the next one, you follow me on this, is it just never ends. And so what we come to realize is that only in Christ are we ultimately satisfied. And only through Christ are we able to realize that we only have to live then for an audience of one, which is God. And then you can actually have an identity in Christ. So when you follow the ways of Christ, you don't get twisted and pulled in either direction by culture or by family or friends or what people say. You're saying, I'm following Christ. And listen, if you meet somebody that just says, I want to follow Christ and honor Christ, they're a pretty attractive person to be around because most of us in here, what do we do? Me included. We want to be like chameleons that are just changing and changing and changing. And then you find somebody who's stable in their identity and you're like, man, that person doesn't change. They're just like, they're hardly worried about people. You know what I mean? They're not trying to impress somebody. And that becomes attractive because their identity is truly in Christ. They're not trying to live to impress somebody. And it's easy. And so we see that we can be satisfied in Christ and we have the answer to satisfy others around us. That's the third reason we evangelize. The second question, I think this is important, is how do we evangelize? Now, listen, I don't think there's a special sauce that I could give you and you're going to you know, drink the Kool-Aid and you're going to be ready to walk and everybody you meet in Walmart and everywhere else, you're going to just share Christ. It's just, you know, easy. That's not how it works, unfortunately. But what we do know is there's a few things we have to have to be able to share Christ. The first one is this. is First, we have to know Christ and his word to be able to share Christ. Right? You can't share something you don't know. It's just literally impossible. Think about this in verse 42 when we read with the woman at the well and what she did when she went back to Samaria. It says, They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. So these people believed in Christ because the woman told them. At some point in your life, if you've really thought about your faith and if you take God serious, you have probably said, Why do I believe in Jesus? And at some point, you have to quit believing because of your parents or a friend or trying to impress me or, you know what I mean, whatever reason. You quit believing because of that, and you say, I want to know for who? For myself that I know Christ. So what did they do? They believed because of the woman. And then it says, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that it is indeed the Savior 
of the world. When you come to know Christ as the Savior of the world for you and not for somebody else is when Christ becomes of value to you and you want to start sharing it. But you have to know Christ yourself first to be able to share it. You can't share what you don't have. There's no way to give somebody $100 if you only have 10. You can't share what you don't have. It got me thinking this week, and I don't, I don't know how to, you know, the best way to explain this, but my lovely wife, um, I feel like whenever I call her lovely, y'all always smirk at me like I'm about to share something that's not good, okay? We love each other. We're good, okay? We're not fighting, I promise, right now. Um, <laughs> um, so when we get ready to go somewhere, we usually take my wife's car. Um, and as you can imagine, I'm usually ready a little bit before her. Um, and... So now we have a baby who's still in a car seat because he's six months old, but he weighs almost 25 pounds. He's huge, okay? Um, and so when you hold the car seat, it's really heavy, and it's hot outside. So when you get ready to go somewhere about 3 o'clock, what I've learned is as I grab him, I put him in. I'm in charge of him. She's in charge of the older one. I put him on my arm, and I find myself waiting at her car to unlock it for me just holding it in the sun. And it's like, are you kidding me? It's like the longest 30 seconds of my life. It feels like 10 minutes, okay? I'm sweating. Are you kidding me? So then I ask her the famous question that has become hilarious in our house. You know what it is? I'm smart. I'm like, if I find the keys before I go out there, I can unlock it and turn it on and get in there, right? But guess what? I have to ask her the famous question, hey, babe, where are your keys at? And then I get sent on this idea that I think she thinks is funny, which is the world's hardest scavenger hunt. <laughs> She says, well, you know, I think, uh, I don't know, check the front pocket of the diaper bag. So I go over there. Mind you, I've already picked up the baby. So with one hand, I'm trying to, and I'm just getting more frustrated, okay? You can tell where the story goes. Maybe it's in the big pocket. Well, to mind you, the big pocket of our diaper bag has everything we own in it, okay? We travel with it everywhere. I mean, I'm not joking. And there's like seven pockets. She's like, well, maybe I dropped them in the other one. And you just keep unzipping this thing, and it just never ends, you know? And I feel like every day she's just in the back of her mind dying laughing, okay? But here's the deal. If me having to search for her keys was valuable to her and her not hurting my feelings and sending me on a scavenger hunt was that important to her, she would probably put her keys back in the same place every time. But it's not that important to her. You follow me here? Because if it was, then she would save me all the worries and she'd say, oh, they're hanging up right here where I usually hang them up and I grab them and walk out. But I'm not of that much value, okay? So she doesn't do that, okay? I'm just kidding. Uh, I, she values me. We're great. She loves me, okay? <laughs> but listen, I share that. Listen, I, I share that. I know it's funny. It really is. It's hilarious to us, too. It's like an inside joke now. But I share that because if it was of more value, what would she naturally do? She would take care of that problem, right? It would come out. It would, it would be solved on its own. And it's the same way with evangelizing. How do we share Christ? How does, how does my wife tell me where the keys are? She knows where they are. How do we share Christ? We know who Christ is. Listen, if you spend time studying the scriptures, what I'm saying is you're not going to go home and read the Bible for five hours and be ready tomorrow. But if you from the day forward or from when we started this church a year ago, what we challenged our people to do is, hey, 10 to 15 minutes a day. If you need to get away from your kids after you drop them off, plan on getting to work early. There's a woman in here who's a godly woman, and she says, I've found that the only time I can really get in the Word and not be distracted is I get to work 15 minutes early, and I have 15 minutes in my car before I can walk out. 
Find some type of 10 to 15 minutes where you can read your Bible without being distracted, study God's Word in 15 minutes over a couple months and then a few months and then a year and then two years and then three and then four. You'll find yourself knowing Christ and then when somebody brings him up, you know him. You don't have to think twice about what to say. Listen, you don't have to think twice about a lot of things you do at your job. Why? Because you've been doing it a while. Christ should be the same way. It blows my mind, and this is not a shot at anybody, but it blows my mind when somebody says, I got saved at age six, they're now 46, and somehow in 40 years they don't know the first Bible verse. That's not, that's not a shot. That's not trying to me to be mean, but it just shouldn't make sense. It shouldn't. If we're following Christ wholeheartedly, then we should be in his word and love him. Being biblically literate shouldn't be a weird thing, right? Meeting somebody who knows how to read the Bible. Listen, we're not trying to go in connect group and brag on Bible knowledge. That's not the goal. But we should be in it enough to where we can understand it, right? Y'all are smart people. You're following my sermon. Hopefully you at least laugh at my jokes. You can understand. Listen to the Bible on audio. It works. I'm serious. Bible app has it. Listen to it on the way to work. But find a way to get in the word because when you know Christ, you'll be able to share it. It's the same thing that Paul tells Timothy. Listen to what he tells him. Preach the word. This is what Paul tells Timothy to do at the church. Preach the word. That's why we try to preach the word. Guess what he tells him next? Be ready in season and out of season. There's two things that implies. Is that there's going to be good times in your life when you really feel like sharing Christ and there's going to be hard seasons when you don't feel like sharing Christ. But if you know Christ and that's your foundation, you're then ready when it's hard and when it's not and when you're not ready and when you are. You follow me here? You're ready in both times, in season and out of season. There's times in my life I feel a little bit dry. It's like I'm having to force myself to get into God's Word and study it and be ready to preach. There's times where I can't wait and I'm excited and I'm fired up. If you can't tell, you know what I mean? There's different seasons that you're in, but we have to be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. There's another thing there. We have to do it with patience. Most likely, if you're sharing with somebody at work or just trying to build a relationship or love on somebody, you're going to have to be patient. Hardly ever do I hear somebody, yeah, I went to work and I just mentioned the name Jesus and they lit up and asked me a hundred questions and they got saved right there. That ain't most stories. You have to be patient with people. You have to keep loving them. They're probably going to do stupid stuff. And you're going to be like, why are they still doing that? Right? But you love them. You're patient with them. You rebuke them. You love them. You exhort them. You keep being patient and teaching them as what it says. The next thing we do, I think this is important, is we reflect, reflect Christ and his word. How do we see this? We see this in this passage because Jesus called her out for her sin, right? And asked her to do away with that sin and start reflecting Christ. Listen, all of us in here are sinful, but there's a big difference in purposely giving way to sin and wanting to fight sin. And if you go to work daily and are trying to fight sin, somebody's going to notice. And then you're reflecting Christ. Listen, there's nothing worse. Think about this. Than showing somebody what it looks like to halfway be in with Christ. That doesn't make it look attractive. What if I came in here and said, well, guys, I think y'all are not very smart. I'll just say the word dumb. So I'm going to really dumb down my message and only give y'all half of Christianity. How would that make y'all feel? Yeah. Nobody wants that, right? You want the real thing. Listen, we're going to be more effective when people see the real thing, right? When, when we give them all of it. 
When we say, you know, last week I got mad at work and I popped off at you, I'm sorry. I'm still fighting that. They, they see the genuineness of following Christ. They get around somebody that never does anything wrong. That ain't fun to be around. But we see what it looks like to actually reflect Christ. The third thing, and I think this is important, and the last point is very quick, so I promise you we're not going to be out of here at 1 o'clock, is we share Christ in his word. We have to come to realize that somebody's not going to get saved unless we actually say it with our mouth to them, right? We, we can't just live like Christ and people get saved. There was a, a famous thing that I believe it said something like, um, share Christ with your life and use words when necessary. That's halfway true. We do want to share Christ with our life. But according to God's word in Romans 10, I'm going to read it here in just a second. Somebody can't get saved unless you share it with your mouth, right? You have to tell them about Christ. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a good verse. But how does somebody call on the name of the Lord? Verse 14. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe if in him of whom they have never heard? Paul's a genius. He keeps asking these rhetorical questions. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Guess who the preachers are? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Sounds like a great name to a sermon series for a new church trying to be sent out into a community, right? How are they going to preach unless they are sent? And then it says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Listen, church, we in here have the good news. We are the ones to be the blessings to the community when we leave because we're the ones that are sent to preach God's gospel to them. Amen? It's us when we get out of here that we go and we do that. And what I would say is, is, you're not encountering anyone by accident. Everybody you're around is on purpose. And when you get around them, we have to love them well. There's one last thing I want to share on this point. I think it's really good. There's a missionary, Stanley Jones. He was going to India before India had any Christians. He was, he was going there and he was trying to convince the upper class educated people in India that Christianity wasn't a bad thing. He wanted to help them out in redeeming the country of India when it was not doing well at all. And he's a missionary. And he's there, and Gandhi had been spending time in India as well. And the missionary's talking to Gandhi, who wasn't a believer, but had obviously did some, some good things, or as much as you can do is without sharing Christ. But um, he, he's talking to him, and he had a question. He said, how can we make this normal in India? How can we make Christianity normal in India to where, you know, people don't think Christianity's weird? How can we get it to a normal place to where, you know, Christianity is sustainable in India? It'll last for generations. How can we do that, Gandhi? And Gandhi, who's not a believer, but said some really good things back. This is what he said. He said, missionaries and Christians should live more like Jesus. You know why he said that? Because Gandhi himself had studied the scriptures very diligently. And he knew what Christ acted like. And he knew that it was attractive when people actually acted like Christ. How do we evangelize? Well, we first act like Christ and then we share the good news, right? It makes a lot more sense when somebody's been through and actually loves what they are telling you about, right? Ever met a salesman that didn't like the product they didn't sell? Not much, probably, because they didn't sell it long because they probably were on commission and didn't do it long. You know what I mean? That's why when you do meet a good salesman, they love what they're doing. It's the same way. You need to love Jesus and live like Jesus to share. And then the second point I thought that he said was very good. I think this is important for us as we go live out in our culture. He said, I would suggest, this is a quote from Gandhi talking to the mission. I would suggest that you practice your religion 
without adulterating it or toning it down. Because as soon as we do that, it loses all of its effectiveness and you eventually end up with no Christianity at all. Right? Listen, if Christianity gets stormed and culturized by our culture, there's no difference between us and them. Right? If us and them, the lines get blurred, there's no difference. And we become the world. So how do we evangelize the best? We reflect Christ as much as we can. And that becomes attractive for people to do. We talk about this often, but there are countless things that made the early church in Rome attractive as to why they were able to grow, how they treated women, how they loved one another, how money didn't tie them down, how sexual desires didn't run their life, right? That was what happened in Rome. And these people weren't tied down by that. They were tied down by Christ. And people said, that's attractive. I want to be a part of that. And then the church continued to grow. That's how we in here, how our church is going to grow. The third question, and we'll be done with this one in just a minute. Where do we evangelize? The woman at the well, she went and found people that would know her. Right? She was from Samaria, and where did she go? Samaria. She didn't go to a random town and try to tell them. She went to people she knew. Who are you going to be most effective sharing with? Listen, I'm for door-to-door knocking. Let's go do it. That's fine to share the gospel. But who are you going to be most effective sharing the gospel with? People that you know. People that you can invite over for dinner. People you can call on Thursday night and say, hey, meet me at La Priya and build a relationship with them. Right? Those are the people that God has sovereignly ordained you to be around that you can go to. So where exactly do we evangelize? We probably should start with our family. We start praying for them. Here's what I'll say. It's not accident. Listen, not everybody that I've ever prayed for has come to church or got saved. Clearly. Okay? But I will say... I'll just be personal. Dylan and Madison, my brother and sister-in-law, they've come to know the Lord and are at church. My mom and Lee, my mom and my stepdad, they're here, right? Where else do we evangelize? With our neighbors. This may be funny, but in my personal prayers, my wife and I, Blake and Cameron, our neighbors, come to church some. Jay and Cynthia, my wife's uncle and aunt, Ronnie and Jerry, who are just a couple that lived across the street, have come. Right? This is, I'm not saying this to brag by any means because there are countless people, Right? I'm saying this because you've got to get personal with who you want to know Christ. And it doesn't mean you go get in their face and hammer them with a Bible and just go after them. But you love them well. Be their friend. Be a good neighbor. Nothing fired me up more. I went to a birthday party with a couple at our church and their neighbor showed up. Right? And they're just hanging out, just getting to know some other people from the church. They used the birthday party almost as a missional tool. I think it's a phenomenal idea, right? But it's not going to happen. Listen, church, we're not going to be, as I said before, we don't want to be evangelistic just from a corporate standpoint where we say everybody's welcome. Of course everybody's welcome. Every church says everybody's welcome, and not every church grows. The churches that are going to grow are the ones where the individual people in each seat say, I love Christ, I value Christ, and I want to get personal about sharing Christ with other people. And it doesn't mean you do it on the first time every time. But it means in a long run, you're playing the game for a long time, for maybe a year, maybe a month. But you're spending time taking it personal with people. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe you have a hobby, and that's an easy way to. But everywhere you go, at the end of the day, we do that. And there's nothing better, and I'll say this, and we'll pray and be done. I look around in here. I was thinking about this as I was wrapping my sermon up on Thursday. 
I look around and some of you have played a huge part in somebody else coming to know Christ. In here. All right, so you're here because somebody else. That's how the church is going to grow. Right? We're not going to put um, a, a sign up, a big billboard on 78 and say, you're welcome at Connection Church Athens. That's just not really a good church growth at, way to grow right now. People are not going to do that. There's church signs everywhere. How are we going to grow? Personal invitation. Personal relationships. You just saying, hey, who's one couple? Who's one friend? Somebody I work with, a family member, right? And just say, I'm just going to focus on one, and then we grow. I don't know if I shared this already or not, but a year ago today, or sorry, a year ago tomorrow was the first time we met at Jamie and Autumn's house, and there was like 20 adults. I think there were like eight kids. Luckily, we had some fruitful families, right? <laughs> Half of them were kids. And half of them were other family members. Really, it wasn't much. And what we said there is, listen, they had never heard the worship team. They had never really heard me preach. They're just there. Probably a redheaded guy passionate about starting a church. They didn't know if we were going to have snakes. They didn't know if, we were gonna, if I was going to preach that something that they couldn't understand, right? No idea. Just passionate about God's mission to make disciples of all nations, starting in Athens, starting in your neighborhood, starting with people you know, and then take it to the nations. And we just wanted to play a part in that. We didn't know what it would be like. We didn't know we'd be without any college students having 100 people in here. We had no idea. They didn't know that. I didn't know that. And I really believe that God could just be getting started only if we take it personal, right? If we say not just a church we want to be missional, but if each of us in here take that personal and we want to see people come to know Christ. Listen, I guarantee you there's probably even somebody in your life that has gone to church but quit going to church. And those are like low-hanging fruit. You don't even have to convince them to love Jesus. They already do. They probably just had a bad church experience. And then you start sharing with people who maybe deny Christ and don't believe that he's resurrected from the dead and that God created all things. And you can have those conversations too. But we have to get serious about individuals finding people who could come to know Christ. Amen? And that's when, when we take evangelism serious, when we'll start seeing growth happen. And I think that's why the early church grew. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together and we'll be done. Father, we love you. God, we're thankful for who you are. I'm thankful for your word. God, I pray now that, God, just people here would begin to, God, have their heart pricked for people to come to know you. God, whether they come to Connection Church Athens or not, God, I pray that first and foremost, they would just take your mission serious. And if they go to another church and it blesses that church, God, we want to be kingdom-minded and that is good and we love that and we're good with that. Amen. But God, I pray that all of us in here would just begin to want to see somebody else come to know Christ. And God, I pray first that we would come back to our first love and value you most because that's what's going to give us the courage long-term, not a week-long excitement, but a courage long-term so that all of us can leverage our lives so when we get to the end, we can hear good and well done, my faithful servant. God, we love you, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys so much. We'll see you next Sunday.